Hello, and welcome to the podcast, A Voice for the Hurting. This is season three, a season dedicated entirely to stories of how God is faithful through the roughest times in our lives. I truly believe that we can gain in faith and hope through other people's stories and testimonies. So pull up a chair, listen closely, and be encouraged by today's story. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce... Courtney Lohman, the wife, mom, speaker, and fellow podcast host of the podcast Journey of Ruth. Hello. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, Today, you're going to tell us a little bit about uh, some very tender times in your life. Can Mm -hmm. you start telling us your story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, About Uh, let's see, 2019, uh, my mom, my dad came home to find my mom having a grand mal seizure, which is not something that she had had before. Um, and what that resulted in was them doing uh, some tests and finding that she had glioblastoma. And so that took our family on a road that was very different for us. Uh, I'm married and I have two boys. Um, they are eight and four. And, um, so this was their Mina. That's what we called her. Her name was supposed to be, yeah, it was supposed to be Mima. Uh, but one of my kids said Mina and (laughs) it stuck. So, um, you know, they knew that Mina was sick. Um, and she immediately went into a brain resection. Um, and once they took out, uh, the, the tumor, they discovered that it was glioblastoma, which anyone who's dealt with brain cancer knows those are like the, some of the worst words that you can hear, um, because there is no cure for glioblastoma at all. And, uh, it will respond to treatment, um, for a short time, but then eventually what happens is either your body is, you know, just deteriorates too much for life, uh, you know, with the treatments or, your tumor will stop responding to the treatments. And at that point in time, they're like, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. Now, if you're looking for the positive any, in any of this, they say that the one positive to glioblastoma is because it's brain cancer. Uh, it's a very peaceful death, uh, yeah. when that time does come because they just fall asleep. Um, cause their brain just isn't working like it should. Um, but that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> No, <laughs> when you're I'm pretty sure cases. anytime you get a cancer diagnosis, that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Don't worry. It's a, it's a, you know, painless death. Oh, thank you. But okay. So we, um, stepped into that and my parents were actually, um, just a two weeks before that had agreed to take a job that would move them from Texas to North Carolina. And my dad had been in a job seeking cycle for almost a year and a half at this point. And he had found some, some short-term work, but no long-term, you know, opportunities. And at that point we were really saying like, okay, God, what are you doing? Like, this is a, a well-respected, um, very experienced 60 year old man who can't find a job. Yeah. Like, what are you doing in this? And in fact, my parents were just praying and asking for God's direction. And they were telling us like, God's never been more silent in our mm-hmm. entire lives. So I started praying like, God, can you please give me, you know, any word or any uh, encouragement and no lie. What God said to me was, I don't have to tell you anything. It's none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, 
okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> won't ask that question again, but that what we see is that that was a waiting period. And we know that sometimes that's when God is doing the work inside of us that he needs to do is in that waiting period. Um, and so that was a waiting period because once this opportunity to ca- came, uh, my dad got an opportunity to go and work with my aunt and uncle in North Carolina. Yeah. When this opportunity opened up, they were ready. Yeah. Right. Cause there was nothing holding them there anymore in Texas. And so they got, uh, they made plans to move. My mom has this, uh, brain resection two weeks later, they moved to North Carolina. Wow. And I like, did she have any result or any symptoms after Yeah, that's a good question. So her memory wasn't quite right because it was in the front temporal lobe. So, um, for her, it was like her short-term memory wasn't great, but her long-term memory was still there and her personality was still there. Um, but like, you'd be like, okay, mom, it's time to get up and get dressed. She'd be like, okay, great. And then she'd just sit there. You're like, no, really we got to go. So, uh, (laughs) we were able to come and help get the house you know, packed up. Cause it was very obvious that, I mean, she just had brain surgery. You don't rebound from brain surgery. Right. So they moved them. Uh, they moved to North Carolina and they decided they were going to pursue treatment there. Well, it's now two weeks into them being it there and they start to go through some tests and they find out the tumor is back and it is double the size already that is already four weeks later. That is how fast this cancer was growing. Yeah. And so basically they were told, okay, here's your options. You can, we can do another brain resection and take that out. Um, but we, um, and and in that case we can give you like 18 or 16 months, I think it was, Yeah. or we can do nothing, but you will have anywhere from like two to six weeks to live. And that is it. And so the decision was made to have that second brain resection. And she did, she did experience a lot more, um, change in who she was in the second surgery. Um, she lost her affect. So you would tell a funny joke and she would say, that's really funny. Yeah. No smile, no joy in her voice, nothing. And you're like, are are you sure mom? Are you sure it's funny? And then she would go, she would look at you and smile real fast. Cause that was one of the things that she realized, Oh, I'm not smiling. Her brain could not portray the emotion. Um, so my dad kind of stepped into that role of caretaker. Um, but the reason God needed them to go to North Carolina is because my aunt was there and that's her sister. And my aunt was so much help since, uh, my younger brother lives in Texas, me and my other brother live in Arizona. It was not an option for us to be there on a weekly basis. We were there a lot, but she, um, my aunt was able to be there and care for her sister during that time. So I just look at it as there's this waiting period where it looks to us like God is being silent and God's like, no, no, it's just not time yet. And then this thing happens. We're like, oh, cool. It's a, it's for a job. They're moving for a job. And then she gets sick. And then it's like, oh no, they're moving there so that this family, that this sister of hers can love them in this way and, and help them. Um, my mom would live for 16 months. Um, we got a lot of time together as family, but it was hard to watch my dad care for my mom. Uh, it was hard to watch my mom deteriorate, you know, in her health. And she was actually at my house in Arizona when 
the decision was made that her body was just too weak to pursue any further treatment. She was here. Um, she fell in the bathroom in the middle of the night. Um, we were actually like caring for her, uh, for two weeks. So my dad could have a break. We'd said, fly her out here. She'll be with her grandbabies. Um, but when she fell and then they kind of evaluated what else was going on with her, it was like, this isn't like her body is, is breaking down. Her body is done. Right. And so my dad had to fly back out and, uh, with my aunt and they took her back, um, to North Carolina. And so we got 16 months, which I think was a blessing. You know, I don't know which is worse. Cause I've never experienced the other, if it's better to know that your loved one is going to pass. And so you get to be really purposeful with that time that's remaining, or if it's better to have, but you also have to watch them suffer in that time. Right. Right. We had a lot of really hard moments, um, especially with some of the mental, uh, incapacities that she experienced. One of those was a hard time processing emotions. And so she would get really sad sometimes about what was going on and, you know, how much we were going to miss her and how much she was going to miss us. Um, or if it's better to have a very fast illness that, you know, your family member didn't suffer. Um, but you also didn't get that extended amount of time. Right. You know, I, I don't know. And I, maybe it's the truth is none of it's good. Uh, right. That's what know? I was just thinking. Yeah. Probably yeah, both options stink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. They, so I we got that time pluses when you can look at it from an objective standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So I believe, you know, I think that, that God was definitely working before we even knew that that's what was going on in her brain. He was working during that time. Um, and for me personally, I mean, obviously it's my mom, but there was stuff going on in me. And I, during that time, I really felt like God was continuing to bring Exodus to mind. And I'm like, okay, right. Exactly. That, 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 okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like by Exodus, do you mean Psalms or like (laughs) Philippians or one of those encouraging books. And instead it was Exodus that kept coming up and like a, a scripture from Exodus, a, a sermon from Exodus, a quote, like it was all over. And I'm like, okay, what is this? And then I heard, um, another podcast cause I love my podcasts and <laughs> they were talking about, uh, Moses after he got the 10 commandments Yeah, and he's talking to the people and he has to go back up on the mountain And Mount Sinai is surrounded by clouds and lightning and thunder and the sound of trumpets. And basically like it's chaos up on this mountain. And God has told the Israelites, do not come up here or you will die. Yeah. But he actually sends Moses back down to say, go tell them that they can't come up here. And Moses says, they already know. And he's like, go down and tell them. And the reaction as uh, of the Israelites is when they see this is, I don't want to go anywhere near that. Like Mm -hmm. that's terrifying. Look at the darkness up there. I don't want to go up there. Yeah. And then scripture says, Moses went into the darkness because that's where God was. Yes. And I heard that I'm driving, going to a CVS to pick up medicine for my mom. And I just sat there in the car for a second. And I was like, is is that why you have us here? Like this awfulness that our family is going through. And what I didn't mention is that, um, four months 
after my mom was diagnosed, my husband lost his job. It was his dream job. He was going through, um, an Academy in order to be to that job. Uh, and he was released uh, without reason. Wow. Our family was preparing to move. And all of a sudden the door was, I mean, it's like we were out, we were already walking out the door and the door got slammed on our face. Wow. And we were like, um, okay. Every man in my family lost their job that next fall. And then what happened in the next spring? Oh, a a pandemic. Right. By that time it was like pandemic, please. (laughs) Sure. Throw it on. Like we've got so much going on right now. I mean, life was just like a tornado. And the only way you could survive was like to just catch whatever the tornado was throwing out at you to catch and and deal with that day. I mean, it was chaos. And I, so there was a lot of questions of like, why we were working so hard on as a family to reach this goal of my husband doing this job. Yeah. And you just shut the door. Why does my mom who is, you know, not even 60 yet. Why is she dying of brain cancer? Right. You know? And in that moment, I felt God saying, come into the darkness because I'm going to meet you there in a way that I can't in the light. Wow. You're more receptive to what I have to say. Yes. You are more open to the direction that I want to take you. And, and even Psalm says like he draws near to the brokenhearted in those dark times, Jesus comes closer. He can come closer to us in that darkness because our arms are more open. Mm-hmm. We're sometimes in, in the times when we're not broken, we, we aren't, aren't even looking for him. That's right. We're headed in another direction, or we're just like so busy with the day-to-day life and, and, and all the good things that we forget that God's calling us to himself. And so in the darkness there, he can like, he, he can be closer to us. And so I began reading Exodus. I was like, that's it. That's the last Exodus. I get it. I get it. I need to go read Exodus. So I did, I read the entire thing, uh, a little bit at a time. And I just, it was a beautiful picture of how God was faithful over and over and over to the Israelites. Yes. Um, And they did really dumb things and he was still faithful and they cried out to him and he was faithful. They blamed him for things. He was still faithful. Um, and God just said, look, this is how I will be faithful to you as well. Uh, I want you to see in this, my picture of my faithfulness to the Israelites is how I am faithful to you right now, even in a wilderness moment. Um, I want you to see that I've got a plan for you. And do you trust that my plan is better than anything that you could have thought of. Yeah. So that I, I, I mean, I think it took almost two years for me to really like process all of that, you know, like we're almost three years out now. Um, but it, in the end, I think that's really what God was saying is, do you trust that I'm faithful even in the dark times? Oh, amen. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Um, that made me think about when you were saying all that about how we are more ready to seek God and to hear him and to see his faithfulness. God brought me through that same thing with the verse or well, the section in Matthew where the woman at the well. Yeah. And, you know, she's going to the well at the hottest part of the day because she wants to not be seen. Yeah. And Jesus comes to her, tells her everything that she ever did. And then reveals for the first time in scripture that he is, the coming savior. Mm-hmm. What would make him say that to this woman at the well, who's 
you know, been married five times yeah. and living with someone who's not her husband, Yeah, you know, because she's ready to hear. Mm. Yeah. Uh, she needed it, that hope. Yes. She needed that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that the hope that we're all looking for, there are so many answers to finding comfort, uh, and peace here on this earth. The truth is they're very temporal. That's right. And what God was really asking the Israelites to do was to trust him for their eternity and trust him for, I mean, their everyday sustenance. And we live in a world where we don't feel like we need that, you know? And I think that's why sometimes you can go to third world countries and they're a lot more receptive to what we have to say about the Jesus that's in the Bible. Yes. And yet in America, we can say, I'm fine. I I think I'm fine. The truth is we're not. We're not. The truth is that there is a hope that can only be found in him. And throughout this situation, you know, we got asked like, like you're not falling apart. How? Yeah. You know, and when you, when you say that to someone like, yeah, I'm going through this really difficult time. And they're like, oh my gosh, how are you even dressed? And you're like, right. can I tell you about Jesus? Cause, uh, he's probably the only reason I am, you know, but you're right. She was ready to hear that because she didn't have many other answers. That's right. Yeah. I have a lot of questions. Do you have more story to tell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, no, I think that it's just, the, the God has continued to show his faithfulness yeah. beyond then. So it's, it's been kind of cool to like, see that and have him show that to me. And yeah. then to now have the eyes to see that, if yes. you will, you know, yeah. now that I've seen that his faithfulness to be able to show that in the situation of others, you know, as I'm, you know, discipling someone or walking through, you know, that with someone else, uh, or just to be able to see it in my own life. I'm right. like, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you go throw yourself a pity party, which the Israelites did all the time, you know, let's remember what God has done for you. And let's decide if this is really worth a pity party. Probably not. Well, and it's so, it's so easy how we roll into that pity party versus, you know, actually asking God what he has for us and really trusting him. But I, I think it's a human thing (laughs) because we want to understand, Uh you know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes it's not, at least not for us to understand right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Israelites wanted the full picture. Yes. Which is why they complained. And we also look at the fact that several times they said, did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us out here? What? Like killing us there wasn't good enough. You had to kill us out here. Or we would have been so much better if we stayed in Egypt. And I think we sometimes get so wrapped up in like the, the hard or the struggle that we're in, that we look back at where we were. And even though it wasn't great, and even though it wasn't maybe healthy for us, at least we were like, we could predict, yes. you know, what was going to happen. Uh, we, we knew that life was going to be crazy and we could just predict it that way. And then we pull, God pulls us out of that. And then he's walking us to our next destination, you know, he's walking us to the promised land, but this is sometimes feels way too hard. You know, that, that time in between I'm saying this, and I know this is like 
<laughs> like they can yeah, see if me. Somebody's listening. They can't right. see it, but the space but. between feels too hard. And, but the truth is that he's going to carry us through that in-between space. And there is something to be learned in the in-between space that's going to prepare us to be who we need to be when we get to our destination. Yes. And we don't want to be back at our, you know, our origination point because there's things that we're missing. There's blessings that we're missing. There's beauty about God and about our own selves that we're missing. If we don't allow God to take us through the in-between moment to get to the destination. Yeah. Yeah. And that in-between too, I think a big part of it is that we want to be in control and on some level, we feel like we were in control of our past, whether or not we were is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. is a good question, but we don't want to let go of the thought that we can be in control. Yeah. Very yeah. true. So how did your dad do, uh, how did he take to being a caregiver? Was that a natural thing for him or was it a complete flip on its head change for him? So my dad is a very, um, kind person. He's a very giving person. So that portion of it was very easy for him. Um, he will give and give, uh, to protect his family, to serve his family. Um, that was not hard for him. What was hard was the idea of grieving while still caring for someone. Because of course, when you're dealing with a long-term care situation, you are beginning the grieving process. Absolutely. And there are a lot of things like my mom did all the bills and she did all the banking. Uh, my dad had to learn how to do all of that. And by the, I mean, there was the chaos of the move. And then by the time we got there, mom really never had the opportunity to teach him all of these things before she had her second brain surgery, which then at that point, who knew if the password that she was going to tell you was going to be right. Right. It could be, it could not, uh, she might've paid that she might've not. And then as, as my dad began to look into things, we learned that mom had probably been incapacitated by this, uh, tumor for like a year ish. Okay. Cause what we thought was a, uh, her passing out from a low blood sugar, which is something that she dealt, or I'm sorry, a uh, high blood pressure, not blood sugar, high blood pressure, which is something she had dealt with medically before ends up. It was probably a mini seizure. Yeah. Right. right? And then we got the bigger seizure, which my dad walked in on, but, um, we found out she'd probably been incapacitated a little longer. And so these things are kind of coming, not only the doctor's visits and the huge contain, like huge pile of medical notes and medical bills and all these things, but then these things that my mom had decided to do and buy and not told my dad about, and that was not a thing. Like secrecy in their marriage was not a thing. Secrecy when, as far as how they spent their money, they were very like together when it came to how to spend their money. It, it, and she hadn't cleared it with him, but now we know why, you know? Um, so it was kind of like, he would be really good. And then there'd be another punch in the gut uh, of something else. And, um, so one of the things that he did is he did pursue, uh, therapy, um, basically like right after they got to North Carolina, it was suggested to him and he, he took that in. And one of the things that I think was really beneficial about that is that 
he started working on himself and his own emotions, like at the beginning, Mm -hmm. you know, right at the beginning of her diagnosis and then throughout her treatment. And then when it became obvious that, that her time was coming, her death was imminent. They could talk about those things, you know, instead of waiting to talk about the death and, you know, after it happened, it was kind of like, how are you preparing for this? You know, who are you put bringing around you? And then he continued to see the therapist after her death. Um, but that was something that he, I think he did well in his time, you know, of, of treatment was, was, uh, yes, he had friends that helped him. And yes, he had pastor friends that would call him and pray with him, but finding that professional that could really help him talk through some of the things that he was having, some of the forgetfulness that he was having. Yeah. It it's a part of grief. It is. He's like, I'm going crazy. I think <laughs> I've lost my mind. Right. And he's like, Oh no, it's just grief. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, people don't expect those things from grief. No. And you don't and know it, that unless you have someone outside of there who can help right. you through that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So he, I think he did really well in the transition, but I will admit it was, it was difficult for him because he was also working, um, and working a new job at that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, their house remained like half unpacked half in boxes, um, actually until the week that my mom died. Um, I went out and I, that's what I did because there wasn't much for us to do. We couldn't go anywhere, you know, uh, hospice was there on a daily basis. So we just unpacked the house and I'm like, maybe this will help you feel a little less stressed if your house can be in more order yeah. than just like, not only did my wife just pass, but my life is sitting there in boxes and I can't find anything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it was a hard process for him, but I did see him handle it very well. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like he was in the middle of a couple of transitions and kind of got stuck. <laughs> yeah, he really did. But I mean, he, he also didn't just sit in his misery. So that's, that was a, a benefit for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, what would you say to someone who is facing their parents' mortality in any way? Uh, that sucks. Yes. If I'm allowed to say that. Uh, <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, you know, people deal with it very differently. And I would say, give yourself space to deal with it, whether it's a long illness or a short illness, whether it's a surprise, you know, car accident type of thing, whatever it is, give yourself the grace to be able to process it. Number one, and give grace to the people around you. Uh, my best friend lost her mom about the same time. And I actually had to call her afterwards and say, I'm so sorry. I was not there for you the way I should have been there, but I didn't know how I should have been there until I went through it. Yeah. And she was there the way I should have been. And uh, granted, she's like, Courtney, don't be stupid, but she's like, you know, calling and, and saying, Hey, I, I know this day is happening. How are you doing? And, um, and I'm like, man, I should have been checking on you this way, showing you love this way. I, I had to give myself grace for that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. but if you have siblings, they are not going to deal with it the same way you are. Right. Um, and you have to allow everyone to deal with it in their own way and not, not, you know, put anyone down. 
yeah. uh, your, if there's only one parent and if you're losing one parent and the other parent is still there, that parent is going to need some help and some assistance. Once again, some grace. Um, there are going to be things like, I thought you could take care of yourself. And now yeah. all of a sudden, like you, you can't figure out <laughs> with my dad. Love you, dad. Uh, <laughs> he could not figure out online banking. Yeah. <laughs> like it was like the bane of his existence. And my mom used to do a lot of their stuff online. And then, uh, they did half of it writing checks and putting it in the mail. And I was like, are we in like the 1950s? What is going on? Why are we not? So my brother set him up with bank, uh, online banking. Our generation of people says, okay, this will be much easier for you, dad. I will admit it was not easier for him. Yeah, it was not. Uh, did it allow him to maybe get caught up with some of the bills that had got lost in the hubaloo of mom dying? Yes, but it was difficult for him. Yeah. So you have to give, even though it, my brothers were trying to, and I were trying to do something to help him. Uh, you also have to understand if you're like, why is this taking you so long to understand? And it's because the grief really fogs your brain, yes. you know? Um, and I think, so just giving grace to everybody around you. And then the second thing is not dealing with it alone, finding someone who, and who knows you, that you can be really honest with about how you're feeling. Yeah. I'm not a big emotions person. Um, I don't often cry. Um, but I had to give myself that space to cry, which meant I had to find the people that were safe enough for me to feel okay crying with. And when yeah. I had those days, they were the ones that I called. Can and you talk I, about how to know that someone is safe to talk to? Ooh, that's good. Um, I would say there are people that I already trusted who in the past had offered me wise advice. They were people that were in control of their own emotions. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they don't cry. It doesn't mean that they've got everything together. It just meant that I knew if I went to them, that they were going to, they, they had their life in order enough that they could like help me for a few minutes. And it wasn't like, I'm sorry, I have no time for you because my life's out of control or, yeah. oh, let me tell you about my, my experience. And it's all about like when their mom died or when they're, it was like, but there was that there was like, you know, Courtney, when my mom died and that, but it wasn't so to bring the attention on them. It was like, let me identify with what's going on in your life. Right. Um, and then I would say that there was also one lady who really understood my mom, mm -hmm. you know, and well, she wasn't something I, somebody like I cried with, yeah. but she was one that I really liked when she would you know, send messages or I would, could ask questions of her, um, because she knew my mom as a friend, not as a mom, like I do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so she knew my mom differently and, um, yeah, I, th I think finding those safe places. And if you don't have those safe places, then I would love for that to be like a, a almost like a wake up moment. Okay. I don't have these safe places. I need to start developing this. So what does that look like? Um, am I a mom and I need to go find like a mom's, like a mops group where they have, um, 
other moms that I can talk to and mentor moms that I can build relationships with. Uh, do I need to be, in a, do I not, am I not a part of my local church Yeah, and I need to go and become a member and get plugged in? Cause some of the ladies that came to my aid were ladies that I've worked with at church and they just, they just checked in on me, yeah. you know, and that was really useful. Um, so I, I would use that as like a self check moment of, okay, this is going to happen again, whether it's, you know, your other parent, if you haven't lost both of them or a child that goes through something really hard, you're going to come to a moment of grief. And if you don't have a safe place now, let that be like, start praying, start right there. God, I need a safe place. Can you please provide for me some people that are a safe place? Because I don't have someone right now in this situation. And I have a feeling I'm going to need some later on. So who is that? Will you open my eyes to see the people around me that can disciple and mentor me in a way that allows them to get to know exactly who I am and who can be there for me the next time that this situation happens. I was also wondering as far as when your mother did finally pass away, she was with you guys when it happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She actually passed away at home. Um, and that was always her desire. Well, actually, no, actually she did not want that. She did not? Because no, her mom had passed away at home and it was a kind of traumatic experience for her and her sisters. Um, but with COVID it was like, mom, if we put you in the hospital, none of us will get to see you. Right. Like, and so obvious, the obvious decision was at home. Um, so, you know, the interesting thing was that I went and stayed with them for two weeks and I, I have my kids here and I was homeschooling that year. And, uh, so it wasn't a big deal that I was missing time, but still my mother-in-law was very kind and taking care of my kids. My husband was here working and, um, I, I needed, I was needed here, but she was so close, you know, and, and hospice can really help with that, that it was like, if I go home, like she, even if I went home for 24 hours and came home or came back, she will probably be gone. So I was there for two weeks and finally about four days before, uh, about like a week and a half in, we just made a decision. I'm going to leave on this date. And, um, so I booked a plane ticket and about 48 hours before I was supposed to leave the hospice person came in and said, it'll probably be 48 to 72 hours. Oh. And I was like, I don't have 72 hours. I won't be here in 72 hours. Um, now we had my aunt that lived there. Right. And then my other aunt was flying in their other sister, uh, one of their other sisters, uh, to help. So I knew that I wasn't leaving my dad and my aunt alone, Yeah, but she got there and then and I know it's such a weird prayer, but like the day before I was like, Lord, can you take her? Yeah. Like, we know that she's going to see you. We know she's going to heaven. Like there is no coming out of the point where she's at right now. Right. Cause at that point she'd been non-responsive for a couple of days. And I'm like, can you just take her before I go home? And there was something like, it was just weird. That's a weird prayer to pray. I feel you like know? anyone who's watched someone uh, gradually die. I feel like those people understand. I yeah. really do. Yeah. yeah. But it, cause it was like, okay, God, it, her time has come, you know? And so, uh, 
she did. She passed away that evening. And I did talk to my aunts later on. I'm like, no, I was really praying that she would pass tonight. And they were like, so were we Courtney. So were we. And I was like, I don't know. There was like some relief in knowing that someone else yeah. was praying that. And so, um, they did, they came and took her body. And then my dad and I went to lunch and then he dropped me off at the airport. And so it was like really, you know, immediate that I, I had to come home. Um, and of course, then there was the emotions of telling my kids, um, you know, and the sweetness of my, my then, uh, five-year-old, almost six-year-old, uh, or no, I guess he was six, uh, my six-year-old being able to process that and being really sad, you know, yeah. and my then three-year-old just going, as we're talking about it, and me and my husband and my, my son are crying. He's going around the room, patting us all on the shoulders. It'll be okay. It's okay. I love Mina. Mina's in heaven. It's okay. And he's just, you know, patting us all around, but watching my kids deal with her death was also, I think a beautiful picture of like how God sees death, you know, like they'd be like, you know, well, Mina's in heaven because she's dead. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. She is. Okay. And it, but it, the clarity in yeah. that and not trying to like sugarcoat it, like this is, this is the reality. And I'm going to say this out loud and it's going to help me process through it. Yeah. I'm like, maybe we need to do that more as an adult, like right. say it like it is claim it like it is so that we're not setting ourselves up for some other kind of expectation, you know, and it's been interesting to see my six-year-old kind of walk through that, that next year alongside us. Yeah. But my three-year-old, the last year has been harder for him. Yeah. I don't know what it is about like being, uh, four, almost five, I guess he was, he was almost had just turned three and now here he is almost five. And, and he just, he's starting to process like, first of all, what heaven means you know, that have like going to heaven to him right now is just separation from mom and dad. Yeah. You know, it's not, well, you'll be with Jesus. Well, that's great. But if you're not there, I don't want to be there, you know, like, <laughs> right. And missing me not and just breaking into tears. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, buddy, we're going to soccer practice. I don't really know what to do with this right now. Like, cause now I'm crying and, uh, can we not do this right now? But I mean, in all honesty, I didn't say, I would never say that to him but watch him kind of deal with it as his brain is developing and he's starting to understand the idea of loss, but the rest of us have been processing it for like the several, the last few years, you know? Um, so that's been interesting to watch, to walk them through, you know, through that. Um, and, but yes, my mom was at her home and, um, she was always a singer and, uh, and a musician and a piano player. And so some of the, the, the noises that her body made as she was, um, passing on, it just almost was like she was singing. Wow. And that was the last thing, you know, and yes, there's probably some like medical reason why her body made those noises. But for me, it was like, there she goes. Yeah. She stepped into the gates of heaven and she's singing with the angels. Of course, that was gonna be the first thing she did. So wonderful. Yeah. 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 That's a. It reminds me of when my grandparents passed away many years apart from one another. My grandmother passed away in 2007 and when she passed away, um, she passed away like 
just in time to go to church on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yes. of course. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing, my grandfather, who was a preacher. Okay. Also passed away on a Sunday in 2015. Right. <laughs> okay. And, um, it right after service would have ended. <laughs> wow. Which, wow. Right. Yep. And it made sense for them, you know, mm. um, yeah. which is, I don't know, just, it's a beautiful thing. I feel like, uh, God knows that we see those things. Yeah. You know what I he mean? He knows and what we want, even in death. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So how have you been processing grief since then? I know you mentioned a little bit about the grief process, but what does that look like for you? Hmm. Um, I would say, so like I said, I have friends that have walked through this, I would say very slowly and a little bit at a time, but I think that's more my personality. Um, I don't do emotion. Don't really like big emotional things. Like when we go to a, a, a Broadway show, which both my husband and I are big fans. God bless me and giving me a husband who also loves Broadway shows. So when I say, <laughs> can we go? He's like, uh, heck yeah, we can go. Uh, it's great. Absolutely. Uh, it hits intermission and he is in, he's in tears. And I'm like, yeah, that was really good. He's like, but it was so good. Anyway, he's <laughs> not like sobbing or anything, but he's, he's going to cry well before I am. Um, but I think just allowing myself the time to process and allowing myself the time, uh, to be okay when grief surprises you. Yeah. Um, so we we've reached this interesting moment. Uh, my dad actually, uh, in June, uh, June 25th got remarried. Okay. And the time leading up to that, there were moments where like, I didn't know how that was going to affect me. Right. Right. Absolutely. She's a wonderful woman. My dad was 100% ready, uh, really feeling lonely. Mm-hmm. And so I think the relationship came at a good time, but I just don't think you can know if you're prepared for that until it actually happens. And then there's a lot of responses. And, and I, what I learned was that And I think this is the same way when I'm dealing with something with my kids and dealing with something with my husband, I had to learn what parts were my grief to own and what was things that I needed to actually bring up to my dad. Yeah. Right. Some of my, some of my, the the emotions were like mine to own because that's how I was feeling. And there was nothing my dad could say or do that. were going to change those emotions. Right. But there were other things where maybe talking it through with my dad actually would help both of us to understand where we're both at. Um, and I think that was, that's been the hardest thing that we've dealt with after mom's death, um, was that, and it, like I said, it was not a bad thing. It was not a negative thing. It was like, we're so happy for you, but we gotta be honest. This is bringing up a whole nother level of grief that like none of us have had to deal with yet. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, my husband actually stepped in and called my dad, um, to tell him that. And I was, it didn't tell me that he was calling my dad. And I'm like, you didn't tell me because you knew I would tell you what to say. Didn't you? <laughs> He's like, or I might've told him, no, don't call him and tell him that. <laughs> but to be honest, that was a God thing, Yeah, you know, because he could speak honestly about some of the grief that I was going through and that my brothers were going through 
in, in a way to my dad, uh, because he was not one of the, you know, not one of us three. Right. And he's like, Hey, I know you're, I'm, my parents were, are always so good. They're like, we don't have three kids. We have five kids because yeah. my brother's wife and my, my husband. Um, oh, and true. so, yeah. yeah, it's great. So, but he's like, I know that, uh, yes, I get, I'm one of the five, but I'm also on the outside of the three and I can see the way that they're reacting to this. And I just want to make sure that you're, that you understand how they're responding. You're really happy and we're happy for you, but, and no one wants to come in and rain on your parade, but we yeah. also are a family that doesn't really hide things. And so we want to be honest with you. Um, and my dad was really good to respect that, to respect the time that we needed to process the things that we needed to process that. And so there, there was a day where I was just rage cleaning the house because that's a rage thing. cleaning. And yeah, that's great. It's better than taking it out on a person. It is. Right? It absolutely is. <laughs> or eating a whole bunch of, uh, cupcakes, which I can also do. Right. Um, I was rage cleaning the house and my husband was like, what's wrong. And I'm like, I don't know. I just feel so like anxious and I don't even have anything in my life. That's like, causing this anxiety. So, and I'm, I, I mean, I know the house, the house needs to be clean, but it's not the house that's causing the anxiety. And he's like, okay, stop, go to the bedroom. And he's like, kids, here's a show. And he's like, when we got back to the bedroom, he's like, could I just suggest that maybe this has nothing about to do with cleaning the house? <laughs> maybe your anxiety has to do with the fact that your dad just told you that he was getting married. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Was like, I mean, that's yeah, you're probably right. That's a good husband. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. And and he walked me through it and I just laid on the bed and, and we, we talked for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes and that did help, but it did allow me to see that, like, I'm still experiencing some of these emotional responses to grief, yeah. even, you know, almost, almost three years later. So it's almost like he gave you permission to feel that way. Yeah. in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It really was. It was like, let me help you identify what you're, you're feeling. He wasn't telling me what I was feeling. Right. Which is why he came about it as could it be? Yes. You know, and allowed me to say, yeah, it was, you mm -hmm. know, but then he's like, it's okay. Yeah. Like, because, because I don't show emotion too much. When he comes into a really emotional wife, he's like, everything stops and we fix this. <laughs> <laughs> or I know I need to give you your space, uh, because you know, that emotion means something is not status quo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to share with my audience? Hmm. I think my biggest encouragement when someone is hurting is to surround yourself with good people and, yeah. um, people that are going to speak biblical truth to you. Amen. I have friends that are really good about caring for me, but their suggestions about what I need to do don't always match what scripture tells me I need to do. That's right. It, it it's well-meaning. It's just that they're not believers. Yeah. Right. And I have to, because I, I, I can come up with those on my own. You know, I, I am a comfort food person. <laughs> like if I'm having a hard day, I'm like, give me all the comfort food. Yes. And <laughs> someone may tell me that, Hey, it's okay. It's okay to, to be seeking that, you know, comfort in food right now. Okay. Maybe for a time, but the, the truth about some of those suggestions is that 
um, and, and even some of the things you're going to find online is that they're not going to last. They're going to go away. And so surrounding yourself with people that are going to not just say, you know, if you just believe in Jesus enough, you'll be okay. Right. That's not the people I'm talking about. That's right. The people I'm talking about are like, how can I pray for you today? How can I, what can I do physically to help you today? Yes. So what can I do? What can I help you talk through? Should we go get coffee or something so that you can talk through some of the stuff that you're working through? Um, you know, being there to help you process this and then encouraging you with biblical wisdom. Yes. Um, that I think is, is so important because that's what lasts, you know, the, the, the lessons that I learned in Exodus have been a lot more impactful than some of the, like, you know, like hopeful quotes that you might find online. Yeah. You know, those less, and you don't, you're like, why would you go to Exodus for peace and for hope? But it did it like, that was what my heart needed to hear. Yeah. And I needed to be paying attention to like, find that that's where God wanted to encourage my heart, you know? if you're not spending time, it's very easy when you're, when you're struggling and when you're, um, hurting to push away scripture and not spend time in God's word. But when it says that he draws near to the brokenhearted, there is never a time that I have felt closer or felt him be more active in our family's life than when we were going through that. And sometimes it was in the hands of, with the hands of people bringing dinner or calling us or sending cards. Oh my gosh. Some of the cards that I got from ladies at church. I'm like, I didn't even know you knew me, you know? (laughs) And they're like the, my first mother's day without my mom, they're sending me a card. And I'm like, like, I do know you and we have talked, but how did you remember that me of all the people that, you know, that my mother died and that this would be my first mother's day without her. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you. And so not only did he use the hands, uh, and the hearts of the people, but he used his word and he used his word significantly to impact my life and impact the, the lives of, you know, my kids and my family. And so you, I, I think you have to make sure, even if it's small, yeah. You know, small amounts of time that you're spending in the word. I think that's really important to make sure that you are still, you know, reading the Bible, meeting God in his word, because he will meet you there as well. That's right. Amen. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so very much for coming and chatting with me today. I've really, truly enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. This you, has been great. <laughs> uh, can you tell everyone where to find you on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have our website journeyofruth.com and that's all the information. Um, but then in, uh, Instagram and Facebook, both of those are at journey of Ruth that, um, we like to hang out there and put information about the podcast and whatever conferences or whatever that we're doing. Uh, we put them up there. So. Thank you for listening to A Voice for the Hurting. You can find information on today's guest in the description below, plus links to follow A Voice for the Hurting on Facebook and Instagram. Join us next week for more inspiring stories to strengthen you on your journey. If you are a Christian who has been through a divorce, 
Stay tuned for our next season, Christians Healing After Divorce, starting in January of 2023.